This is On and Off Your Mat podcast, episode 31, Yoga Medicine. My name is Erica, and I'm your host. For this episode, I sat down with Tiffany Cruikshank. Tiffany is an internationally renowned yoga instructor and the founder of Yoga Medicine, a methodology for teaching and practicing yoga wherein the practice is melded between Eastern and Western notions of medicine. Cruikshank's teaching is held up by her work as a holistic health practitioner, acupuncturist, and sport medicine expert. Based in Seattle, she teaches regularly for Yoga Glow and travel extensively. She is also the author of two books, Meditate Your Weight and Optimal Health for a Vibrant Life. As always, I really appreciate your support for this podcast, so if you take a minute and leave a review on iTunes or on your iPhone podcast app, you automatically enter a giveaway. Athleta is continuing to support this podcast in their effort to ignite a community of strong women who lift each other up and is giving out a $75 shop card. So if you want to know more about the giveaway, stay tuned. I'll give more details at the end of the show and I'll announce the winner of our last one. So if you did leave a review, make sure to stick around till the end. On that note, take a listen. I'm sure you'll enjoy this episode. Hi, Tiffany. Hey. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. I met Tiffany, not that you would remember Tiffany, at the Yoga Journal Live event a few years back. I took some of her yoga medicine workshops over a few years, and I absolutely loved her approach to the body, her attention to the anatomy, physiology, and biomechanics. And since then, I've been following her online and dreaming to do some of her trainings. Tiffany, I'm in <laughs> awe with everything you do, and I'm absolutely honored you're here. Thank you. It's great to be here. Your journey to yoga and Chinese medicine is a pretty unusual one. So for our listeners that don't know you, can you paint us a picture of your life when you found both and maybe also tell us about how facing those life challenges were a catalyst for where you are today or who you are today as a teacher or practitioner? Mm, yeah, I mean, I think like so many people who come to yoga, we come from from challenges and challenges are often yeah. what push us to to do more and to expand and to look really deeply. For me, I was, I was in my early teens and just really struggled with, um, comfort in my body, you know, hormones, I'm sure were a big part of it. Um, <laughs> but also just, you know, finding myself as a, as an early adolescent. And, um, I was a troublemaker and my parents sent me away on a wilderness program, which really, really changed my life. Um, it was really, I think eye-opening learning how to survive at 14 and, be out in the wilderness was really empowering, but, um, there was also an herbalist who would take me out on plant walks and he was just so excited. because I think I was the only one really interested. And, <laughs> um, it was so intriguing to me to be able to find all of these ways to heal ourselves in this environment around us. Um, and so when I went back home, I, I found an herbalist there and apprenticed with him as well. And in the meantime, um, I also saw this little sign and there weren't really any, there wasn't any internet. There weren't any yoga studios where I lived either, but there was this little sign that just said yoga and a phone number. And eventually I remembered it and, um, yeah, I was hooked. I, I think, you know, for me, I was really athletic growing up. So there was the physicality of it that really drew me in. I didn't really know it at the time, but my teacher was, uh, leading us some form of Ashtanga at the mm -hmm, time. Mm -hmm. um, so the physicality really drew me in. But then, you know, of course, there's something deeper, I think, for all of us, um, whatever that is, if it's just the breath or some spiritual connection or something else. But, you know, there was always something that kept me coming back. And so 
I graduated early. I was just so over high school. It was really challenging for me. And I went off to college at 16 and, um, I was going to this place where there again, weren't any yoga studios and I was leaving my teacher. So in my summer break, I decided to go to teacher training and, um, and yeah, I mean, there wasn't any internet. So I remember having two little pamphlets that I had to choose from. And <laughs> where'd you find those pamphlets one? to start with? I don't even know. And that's the funny thing. I was thinking about this the other day. It's like, how did we find, how did we get those things? I mean, it wasn't even in the same state as where I lived. So oh my God. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. And I remember huh. calling my teacher and asking him. And I remember him not saying very much. I think he was just so taken back by the fact that the 16-year-old girl who had only been practicing for two years mm-hmm. was wanting to become a teacher. And he didn't really give me any guidance. <laughs> Uh, like none under but, my watch. <laughs> but yeah, I ended up um I ended up doing my teacher training and going off to college and I um I taught through all through college and I remember um then finding an acupuncturist and getting really interested in Chinese medicine and and you know for me I think it all kind of looped together this idea of holistic uh, healing and wellness and yoga and um herbalism. And then I was kind of looking as I was in college at, you know, what I was going to do next and what I wanted to do as a profession and looked into Ayurveda and, um, naturopathic and Western medicine. And, um, and then I looked into Chinese medicine and I, I found an acupuncturist and was doing some work with him and was just so intrigued by the art of how it all kind of made sense of things. And, um, you know, versus seeing, I, I really loved, I was seeing a, a naturopath at the time and had a lot of health concerns too. And, um, it just felt more symptomatic to me. Um, and to me, Chinese medicine made more sense of the whole person. They call it the, the root and the branches, this idea that the root is more of like our constitution, our tendencies, um, you know, shaped by the environment as well as our genetics, but the manifestation of our symptoms being more of the branches, which Mm -hmm. are obviously dependent on the roots of the tree as well. Um, so being able to treat both, you know, is always really a big thing. And and so anyways, I became really intrigued by Chinese medicine and I finished up my undergrad in medicinal plant biology and went on to and my pre-med and then went on to Chinese medicine afterwards. And um, gosh, I was just so enthralled by it. And, you know, when I got out, I was really interested in more of the sports medicine side. So I went and did some more study and, and took on a specialty in, in sports medicine and orthopedics and um yeah. And all the while I was teaching yoga, I remember my, I'll never forget. I remember my mom really saying to me, cause I was, at one point I was taking 13 classes in a quarter and I was teaching like 10 or 11 classes. So I'd go and teach morning Mysore and then I'd teach an evening lead class and I would practice before the morning Mysore mm-hmm. at like four or 5 AM. And, um, and I remember my mom saying to me, why are you still teaching when you know that you're going to quit when you get a real job? <laughs> I always remember to this day because it's so funny. Now I now I see very. I mean, there was there were you know a decade of years where I saw sixty plus patients a week and and um, did a lot of that. But nowadays, you know, I see very few patients now once a week, maybe if I'm if I'm home. And it's just funny that uh-huh. you know the the idea of a real job. It's just which is cool now. I mean, I think you see the big rise of yoga, and there's you know people who are struggling with that. And there, you know, there's positives and negatives to it. But I think for me, always growing up and being the black sheep who taught yoga and this kind of weird <laughs> thing, I'm, I'm just so happy that it's here and people are, are using it. And, um, 
it's just cool to see this this broader acceptance of, of yoga. So, And now that you're a celebrated and thriving teacher, do your parents think it's a real job? <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's so funny what hits them. I remember I was, I was on the cover of some magazine that wasn't even like on stands. It was a small magazine. I can't even remember the name of it. And somehow my dad got a copy and, and he was like, kiddo, you've done well. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. It was, it was so funny because of all the things that I was doing, that was the thing mm-hmm. that hit him. That mattered. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> I love you, dad. That's amazing. <laughs> Um, you, you told us a bit about why you chose Chinese medicine over Ayurveda or Western medicine. Do you think it also comes back to that first love of the plants and that wilderness quest? Yeah. yeah I mean, I think, I think there's that in a lot of different, I mean, like naturopaths have that. Herbalism. Yeah. I mean, you can specialize in Ayurveda does. Ayurveda, I, I, I almost quit college and went to Ayurvedic school. And eventually I decided not to just because there's mainly because there wasn't a licensing scope. There's really no medical scope mm-hmm. to really treat and have malpractice insurance and all of the things to to have like a, a a legit medical practice. And so that was ultimately what drove me, steered me away from that. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm happy I did. I'm happy I stayed in college and, and completed my bachelor's and, um, you know, went on and, and did the whole four years of Chinese medicine versus quitting college. And I think it was two years or something or a year or two at the time for Ayurvedic school. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, I've, I have deep respect for Ayurveda. I, I, I'm not a specialist. It's not, it's not something I claim to have deep knowledge of, but obviously I know enough um, from the yoga perspective and, and have a deep respect for it. It's just such a very different, um, similar in the, the holistic, the holism of it and, and things, but very different in the specifics. Um, mm-hmm. I tell people like a lot of people come to our trainings and know Ayur- some, Ayur- some Ayurveda at least. And I always have to say like when we're talking about Chinese medicine is like you have to not try and overlap them because it'll just, it'll confuse you more. You have to really think of them as separate systems. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so before you mention how Chinese medicine is like the roots and the branches and I love that idea and I have a very limited knowledge of Chinese medicine, but what I had in mind about it was the concepts or like the goals to go towards health by seeking for balance, harmony, and energy. Would you say that's an, a good way to resume it or would you correct me or add something to that? Well, I think kind of all forms of holistic medicine have this underlying, this underpinning of like bringing the body back into balance, this this realization that the body knows how it wants to thrive. It mm-hmm. wants to come back to homeostasis and balance. And so Um, each has slightly different mechanisms of, of trying to restore that balance. Um, in Chinese medicine, there's, you know, there's a few different ways to diagnose, but if you look in a very simplistic, very simplistic understanding of it, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times we'll come back to this balance of yin and yang, though there's a whole lot more to it. There's, you know, the five elements, which are different than Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. And there's this idea of like deficiency and excess and heat and cold and, And then it starts to get more complex and you start to mix all of these things together, internal, external, yin and yang. And um, But I mean, it, it always comes back to this big picture of like, who is this person I'm working with? Um, you know, are they depleted? Are they, are they um, <laughs> you know, exhausted and, mm-hmm. and running themselves on empty? Um, or, you know, is there some imbalance in the elements, something more specific? Um, and I think it, it it is hard to talk really simplistically about it because there is really so much depth. I mean, you can go and study Chinese medicine philosophy and Chinese medicine school and do, you know, thousands and thousands of hours and four years of study and still have so much to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I think there's what's great about Chinese medicine is it can, you know, there can be some simplified things that can really overlap with um, yoga. And one of the things I love most about it is is this meridian system. I mean, in, in Ayurveda, we have this idea of the nadis, but they're not as clearly defined as the meridian system in Chinese medicine, which makes such a great construct for the physical body that we work with in a, in a yoga practice and being able to um, you know, work with energy and the meridians and in Chinese medicine, this energetic body, energetic body, which also connects to the internal organs. And, you know, the idea is that the meridians that we look at are on the surface of the body. Um, but if you look at some of the, some of the charts will show this, but um, if you look on some of the charts, you'll see the surface meridian then actually dives internally and connects to certain organs. And so this idea that by working with these surface meridians, it's actually having an influence on the internal organs to regulate and adjust, um, I think is just something really cool to layer into the yoga, you know, practice as well as, you know, when you start to look at the elements, you start to look at different characteristics and qualities or even how you pace a class or, you know, what you're speaking to. For me, um, you know, what we do in, you know, in yoga medicine is really not so much about a style of yoga as much as purposeful practices that can be individualized as well. So in group classes, having some purpose, and maybe that's, you know, a theme in Chinese medicine, or, you know, maybe it's, it's something more orthopedic, or, you know, there's a million things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but having some kind of purposeful guidance, which I think is so important, because it creates um, these kind of healing maps for us to, to relate to and identify with. And I think the, the power of the mind is just so huge and we're just starting to glimpse it. The brain is such a big part of the body that we know so very little about mm -hmm. um, compared to so many other systems. But being able to have that cohesion and purposeful attention, I think is such a big part of the, the therapeutic outcomes mm -hmm. in a practice. Would you give an example how someone could integrate or a teacher could integrate either the concept of surface meridian or the quality of the elements or of yin yang or some like one aspect, how could that look into the way they practice on the mat? Yeah, I think the easiest one is um, maybe to wrap your head around because people are more familiar with it is the, the water element, which is connected to kidney and bladder organs in Chinese medicine. But the, the meridians, if you're familiar with like Tom Meyer's work in the anatomy trains are, mm -hmm. are exactly like the superficial back line. So they run right through the back of the neck, the erector spinae, right over the sacrum, hamstrings, calves. It's a little different, uh, you know, as it goes out to the outer edge of the foot. But for the most part, a lot of the poses that will stimulate these meridians are forward folds, mm -hmm. uh, shoulder stands. So, um, but the interesting thing about this element is it's the water element is like our, our energy reserves. And in Chinese medicine, there's this idea that you're, uh, of essence and that you're born with a certain amount of essence and essence is like, um, when you run out of essence, you, you pass away, you're done. Mm. And essence can be used. I always compare it to like in, um, what's that, uh, Uno, the wild, the the card game, like where you have the the wild cards, it can be used to make anything. So in Chinese medicine, you can use tap into your essence, which is like your reserves, to make chi, blood, yin, yang, whatever you need. But in Chinese medicine, the longevity, health and longevity practices are really based around conserving that essence. So energy conservation, um, eating well, so that we don't have to tap into those reserves because mm. our food is our nourishment. So. This element really comes back to our energy conservation, introspection. It's really nourished with things like stillness and mindfulness and inquiry. Um, and it's, 
shows up in the winter time, as you can imagine, a time where we really start to kind of look inward and and slow down and kind of hibernate. Um, and so it could be doing forward folds, though clearly you wouldn't want to do a whole class of forward folds. <laughs> mm-hmm. You want to have some balance, you know, within that. But you you do maybe some more forward folds, some a few extras in there, and, and connect to the meridians um, in that way, and then connecting to things like stillness and silence and introspection and asking questions and slowing down, or even if it's a vinyasa class, this ability to just move more slowly, the mm-hmm. the space between the breath. Um, and so what's cool about, about yin and yang, I think as well is, you know, we see this in, in, in what I'm talking about with the vinyasa being more of an introspective practice, but we think of yin and yang as being very like separate and distinct, but when you start to look at yin and yang is everything can be further broken down. So like hot water is yang, but cold water is yin, but warm water is going to be yang in comparison to cold water mm-hmm. and yin in comparison to warm. So like in a yoga practice, what that means is that we've got a lot of different ways we can start to bring this in. So in a vinyasa practice, I can do really quick sun salutations and have more of this extroverted yang, fiery kind of quality versus moving more slowly with more attention maybe to my breath or the stillness in between the movements and have a way to nourish this yin quality within the water element, within the kidneys. So yeah, it's, I mean, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a simple construct but it's also a, a very complex. Yeah, because there's so many options and possibilities to play with. Yeah, and I think as a teacher, that's really important because, you know, especially for working one-on-one, what each person needs is very different. You mm-hmm. wouldn't give your 80-year-old student the same thing that you give your 20-year-old student versus, you know, injuries and all the other things that are influencing how we feel in our bodies and what we need in a movement practice or in a restorative practice. Of course. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of helps to adapt it to the person and also the needs of the person and really individualize it. Yeah, that's great. Parallel to Chinese medicine, you mentioned before that you also specialize in sports medicine. Is it the love or the love of those two coming together that created yoga medicine? Can you tell us a bit about that program? I feel like if it (laughs) kind of takes a bit of the both and mixes it together. Well, I I think for me, the orthopedics have always just been really interesting looking Mm -hmm. at the body and how it moves. Um, um, when I started seeing patients in my Chinese medicine practice, a lot of what I saw was, was yogis. And, um, you know, one thing I noticed really quickly was that they got better a lot. They responded to treatments usually more quickly than my patients who were not practicing yoga. So Mm. I quickly started giving them what I called yoga prescriptions and, and, and found it had such a really important impact on, on their, um, on their healing process mm-hmm. as well. So, I mean, eventually over time, that really just kind of transformed into um, me using more of that. And I was running teacher trainings at the time and kind of transformed how I was teaching them. And um, gosh, I mean, I think that was just kind of the gateway into more of the therapeutics. I also had a really, a really bad back injury myself. Um, I was doing a lot of, a st- not that I play much stronger. There's a lot that goes into anything, but mm-hmm. um I had just finished the fourth series and was kind of practicing very early in the morning and seeing a lot of patients all day. And anyways, I, I, I herniated one of my discs and had a really, really severe, pretty significant back injury, um, that I had to deal with. It's been a, it was maybe 10 years ago now, but, um, anyways, it was a good, 
kick in the pants for me. You mm-hmm. know, I think too, I was doing a lot of orthopedics with my patients and then I was teaching <laughs> Ashtanga and Vinyasa, but I wasn't like completely closing the circle of, of taking all these things that I know and use with my patients and taking it into my yoga classes. And so it was a big kick in the pants to start to incorporate more of of what I knew and did in my sports medicine practice into my yoga teachings. And that kind of slowly just evolved into, into yoga medicine. So, mm-hmm. And so now with yoga medicine, you people can find a teacher that's specialized into one area of the body, either, you know, in the orthopedic side or in the Chinese medicine as well. Am I right? Maybe. I mean, really it's more about, uh, usually they take a, a bunch of the different courses. Yeah. So our training is more about kind of layering the different aspects of the body so that you can go in really deep. So, you know, in training, one of our trainings would be on the shoulder, one would be on the spine, one would be on the hip, one would be Chinese medicine, one would be yin and meditation. We've got one on myofascial release. We've mm-hmm. got all sorts of things, restorative. And then we've got internal medicine components, which are like the nervous system, the respiratory system. Um, oh, what else? <laughs> There's a few in there, mm-hmm. but looking at that side of things. And so the idea is that they're, collecting all of these pieces to get a better view of this three-dimensionality of who this person is, because you could study any one of those topics and go really, you know, there's a lot of information there, but I think the beauty of what we do is in the the well-rounded approach. And it's hard because there's so much to learn. So I like to really just focus on each one for a week and really go deep mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then have them layering that information. So then they go home and do case studies on it to help them integrate the information with their students. But the idea, I mean, really the whole purpose of yoga medicine for me when I was seeing patients was that I found that a lot of doctors wanted to refer people to yoga. And, you know, it was just, it's hard as a healthcare provider, it's kind of negligent to refer someone to yoga because there's such variety. Well, I mean, they could end up at Ashtanga, they could end up at Yin, they could end up chanting, they could end up, you know, who knows? Mm -hmm. And they might be with a teacher who's done, you know, a very short training or someone who's done a lot. I think if someone has medical illnesses or injuries, they should be working with someone who has, you know, some more training around that, Mm -hmm. I think. Um, So what I wanted to do was just create a really transparent system where medical providers can see, one, find someone near them, type in their zip code really easily and find someone near them, but also see exactly what they've completed and know that with our trainings, there is an integration of East and West. So we're, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to balance out that the brilliance of the tradition with all that we know now that we didn't know a hundred years ago um, of anatomy, physiology, um, kinesiology, you know, all of these things that I think pathology, so many things that can inform our practice. And, you know, what I always say to our teachers is I really like to teach them to think for themselves rather than give them this cookie cutter approach, which I know as a healthcare provider, just, it doesn't work for Mm -hmm. everyone. There's something beautiful in every system of yoga and every style that's helpful for someone and, and many people. Um, the hard thing is just trying to find what's what's going to be most helpful. And so um, in my experience, I think the best way to navigate that is just by having a better understanding of the body to really understand what's going on as best we can. Um, and to, to do our best, I mean, to keep remembering as yoga teachers that we're not their healthcare provider. We don't have to have all the answers. We get to live in the experience, which is such a powerful thing now. And Mm -hmm. and we're learning more and more around, you know, pain and mental health and how important this ability to live in our experience and kind of disidentify with the diagnosis a little bit or, or tease away some of the attachments to kind of look at what's underneath some of those things. Um, 
it's so important. So I think, you know, for us, it's kind of teasing out the dogma, but keeping the brilliance of the tradition and recognizing the beauty in all of the different styles and, and how really important all of these great teachers we have nowadays are, mm-hmm. but giving them a, a way to kind of, to, to piecework all the things they learn out in the world about yeah. yoga from all these different styles in a way that is helpful and relevant for their student. And get a really big, clear picture on human, <laughs> like not just within the yoga, but every need or yeah. possibility that we'll encounter with our students. Yeah. And I think that's, I think what was really important as a teacher, you know, whether you've done our trainings or not, is remembering that there's always more to learn and, yeah. and not being overwhelmed by it because it's easy I think sometimes to feel overwhelmed by it and even come to some of our trainings and feel like, wow, there's just so much more to learn. But, you know, I think as yoga teachers, we get to live in this process of, of, of constantly, you know, being in the experience with them and not having to have all the answers, but also being committed to learning more and, mm-hmm. and being able to live in the mystery and the, the magic of, of what we do, which, which sometimes can be very magical. It can be, you know, mind-blowing is the uh, results that we see with a with a very simple practice. But I think it's helpful. I think in the world nowadays, there's just, with the internet and um, social media, there's, you know, there's so many people saying so many things. And I think it can be really overwhelming as a yoga teacher. And mm-hmm. so I find it's just helpful to give them some tools to be able to navigate the information for themselves and know that there's not always a right or a wrong, um, that it really is a lot of times just more about who is this person that I'm working with and what what will be best for them. Mm-hmm. You're also leading the Yoga Medicine Research Institute as a nonprofit research organization that focuses on the application of yoga, meditation, and mindfulness to improve health. Do you think that's your way to continue your education? <laughs> mm, gosh, I mean, I just think there's so much work that needs to be done. Yeah. And there are some yoga studies happening and they're not really 99, 95, 99% of them aren't really, uh, don't stand up to the quality that most medical providers will uh-huh. really acknowledge. But but that's how we get there. You've got to have all these small studies first before you start to get an inkling of, of what sh- we should put a, a bunch of money and time behind to make a really great study. So we're just trying to contribute to that. A lot of the studies that are out there on yoga are very stylized. And so our goal is not to create like a yoga medicine study, but to look at very simple things to see how the practice influences us um, that that maybe a lot of people can connect to that isn't, you know, a stylized approach so much. Are but the, it sorry, takes time. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Are those studies available to public? We don't have any studies that have been completed just yet. Oh, so okay, you're only just them. begun. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a woman who is a PhD out of Peru, uh, Purdue, sorry, Peru, um, <laughs> who runs it. And we're, we're just in the middle of our first one. And, it, you know, it takes years and, and so many, yeah. stu- so many, so much money and so much time just to get one simple study done. It really, I, I mean, I think it's the unfortunate thing. And it's such a great reminder for us too, that there's something so valuable from our experience. If we wait for research, we'll be writing for a very, very long time. And even any really great research study only tells us one tiny piece of information about one tiny sector of the population and in one tiny speck of time it only tells us such a small piece of information. So we still have to be able to interpret what that means to us in, a, in our practice. So mm-hmm. I think it's so important to fuse the East and West together, to be able to acknowledge and, and take the research into mind, but also remember the significance of the experience of you know many years of practicing too. 
Can you say what that study that you're doing right now is about, or you have to wait? We're doing one on posterior hip pain. Mm. So we're keeping it simple to start with. You've got to go through a lot of like um, approval by the IRB and things to that keep it all ethical and above board. Uh, so there's a lot of hoops to jump through. So we are keeping our first one simple, but hoping to do all sorts of interesting things. We'll see what happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Funding's a big issue. Um, so yeah, I mean, most good studies take four years and cost millions of dollars. So wow. yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, I mean, those are, those are larger studies, of course. Do you think, um, writing books because you have two books were kind of a, a way to dip your toe into research and to putting things together in that way? I mean, I think we're constantly doing research. I mean, I, uh-huh. I know for myself, like just working with patients and working with students over, you know, the past two and a half decades, has been like my own research. And that's why we make our students do case studies as part of their teacher training so that they become the researcher, becomes ingrained in their DNA of how they work with people Uh um, to have this kind of researcher's mind, which is great because then we're, you know, we're non-judgmental, we're unattached, you know, all the things that we look for in yoga. I mean, the books were really me giving back. Uh, It actually was more of a, a tool that I wanted to give to my patients to be able to take their, their health and students to take their health and wellness into their own hands and, and give them tools, um, to revitalize their wellness. So the first book I did was optimal health for a vibrant life. And it was really, uh, nutrition, home remedies, some yoga, some meditation, those kinds of things to help them. It's a 30 day detox to kind of overhaul their health from all these different aspects. And the second book, meditate your weight was really looking at, <laughs> It's funny because if you haven't read the book, you wouldn't really tell this, but it really is, it was for me taking this mental aspect into it and how powerful the mind is. I've, I've found working with people over many years that sometimes the biggest ob- obstacle, especially nowadays with all our information about nutrition and exercise and mm-hmm. health, sometimes the biggest obstacle is just our own mind. And so what I wanted to do was really challenge how they see health, how they see themselves, how they see their relationship, how, how we, all of us, I mean, see our relationship to food and body image and really trying to drop this attachment to like dieting and starving ourselves and trying to reach some ideal of what we think society wants us to look like and and really finding a home in our bodies and a place to be comfortable and to find this self-care that, you know, nourishes ourselves in this belief that as we, as we self-care, as we take care of ourselves, that our body starts to come back into equilibrium. And so there's this kind of trust in the process as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course we know, I mean, there's studies in it too. We know how important, you know, regulating just the stress response can be for the metabolism and cortisol. And, um, so, you know, there's that side of it too, but I think the bigger thing is looking at, looking at where the habits come from, because if I force myself to do a 10 day cleanse or detox or even a 30 day one, it's temporary, mm-hmm. but we know that the biggest impact on our health and wellness are the things that we take in long-term, you know, the tiny things we can commit to. So looking at the brain, I think is such a, and, and our, our mind is such a big thing as far as health and wellness goes. Yeah. Can you go a little bit more into details about how ignoring the power of our mind, whether it's through meditation, like this book suggests, um, can be a limited factor in our health, whether it's about weight or about health in general? Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is just patterning. I mean, there's so much that goes into patterning our reactions and our responses and our relationship to ourselves. But, um, you know, part of it is falling into the same patterns. Part of it is 
I think also for me, a big part of it was getting people to detach from having to lose weight, you know, getting to really connect to how do I heal? How do I thrive? How do I feel better? How do I throw away my scale and go by what I feel Mm. rather than by what I, what I look like so that I can kind of start from the inside out. And for me, working with a lot of patients, I, I use that optimal health book. I would run um, yearly workshops. We'd have like a hundred people in them at my local studio. Um, it was always a really well attended people. People love doing them. But one of the things I found was that there was always a sector of people that, that didn't respond. And, and my, and I don't know that there's any way to really explain this in, in science, but my inkling was that there was, I, I always feel like the, the way I explain it a lot of times is like, it's like, when your brain starts to envision things, when your brain starts to change how it sees things, then your nervous system can start to go to work to make those changes. But until I can see myself as healthy or as fit, or, I mean, I really try and detach people from body sizes or body weights, but feeling good in your body, moving Mm -hmm. and feeling more comfortable, if I can start to visualize those things, and so there's a lot of visualization in there as well, if I can start to visualize what it feels like to be healthy my brain starts to recalibrate and naturally start to make different choices. Um, and, you know, we know part of that's true just with yoga. Some of the research we see does look at like, it's, can we really pinpoint what's happening here? Because a lot of times it's, it's hard to pinpoint the effects of yoga because a lot of times it's the lifestyle changes surrounding a regular yoga practice that comes as well. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so fascinating. I mean, we can talk about that for an hour, but uh, <laughs> I also wanted to talk about the foundation, Yoga Medicine Seva Foundation. Mm. Um, can you tell us a bit about that and why did you choose to give back in that way? You said already the books were a way to give back, but that's definitely a way to give back as well, I think. And I was curious about why focus on human trafficking and sexual exploitation yeah. instead of anything else in the world. I mean, that one's like my baby, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's such it's such a project that's so close to my heart. I think, I, first off, I grew up working at my mom's homeless shelter. So I think service work has always been really important to me. And it, it I think, just always puts things in perspective. And I, I really wanted to have that for our yoga teachers um, as well, because teaching yoga can be a lot of work. And I think it's, it's really helpful to keep putting things back in perspective with all the pressures we put on ourselves these days and really anyone, any job for that matter. But as a woman um, in a first world country who is educated and so empowered with, you know, our communities, the people around us, education, um, I just felt really strongly about giving back both to a culture that's given us yoga as well as to women who don't have access to these resources. And, you know, Trafficking is such a big issue in India. I mean, there's about 18 million women trafficked every year versus the worldwide total is about 40 million. So it's a huge portion of the world's um, trafficking. And and as a woman, when I was at Nike, I I got really interested in um, the girl effect. And they have like this really cute little graphic video, infographic video 
I think that's what you call it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I remember watching that and, and it's all about, you know, breaking the cycle and empowering these girls. And it really intrigued me when I learned more about the, the cycle of trafficking. And a lot of times these girls are brainwashed into it, but then they don't have a way, you know, maybe they get pregnant or maybe they are supporting their families and they don't have a way to survive without it. So they get trapped in the system if they don't have vocational skills. Um, and so, um, gosh, there's so many layers of it, but I remember hearing that and just feeling so, uh, angry, so overwhelmed. So like, I have to help this. I did a little bit with them. And then, um, I just felt really strongly about bringing it to our teachers and, and using this yoga, um, community that we have to get behind something that was really, I mean, as a woman, I just can't even imagine. I can't even wrap my head around it. And when we go there and visit these girls, they're some of the sweetest, kindest people you'll ever meet. You would never guess what they've been through. Some of them will tell us their stories and we'll learn. I mean, we were there this last time and gosh, one of the girls had been, her parents had passed away and her sister had knowingly trafficked her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were with her for a few days. And I remember at the end of it, we all went around and said one word and, and hers was trust. I feel trusting. And we all just like, started crying. How? <laughs> oh. And, um, yeah. And, and so our, our nonprofit is really about not just giving them, um, shelter and food, uh, and yoga, which is obviously very empowering as well and medical, but also really pairing them up with meaningful vocational skills that bring them above the poverty line. So they're not just spice grinding or doing simple things that keep them in that poverty zone, but, but having, um, meaningful vocations. So they're paired up with something that, that, of their choosing. Some want to go to college. We've got one girl in law school right now who really mm. wants to fight for women's rights there, which is really cool. And um, anyways, I, I mean, I think it's, it's, it feels like my baby and being able to go and see these girls is just like, it just changes everything. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like you can't go home from that trip and not have a <laughs> changed perspective and uh, outlook on life. How can listeners support you and this foundation if they'd like? Yeah, everything's on yoga. Everything we've talked about is on yogamedicine.com. Mm-hmm. Um, books are on Amazon too, as well as our website. If you go um, on our website and look under about, you'll see the Stava Foundation and the Research Foundation, our teacher trainings. Uh, we've got online courses and articles. And if you want to find a teacher, you can click on the find a teacher icon and find someone near you. Um yeah, and there's a lot of great articles written by our teachers who've done a lot of trainings with us for um, learning and educational purposes. If you're curious whether you're a student, uh, a teacher or a student, mm-hmm. I love how you put them in the light on social media and in other platform. It's not only about you as the founder, but there's they're often really well represented. So yeah, and I just think that we just got back from a training too. I'm just always so inspired by the caliber of teachers these days and. I don't know. The people who show up at our trainings, I just feel like are such a, um, for me, such an incredible combination of people who are really curious and intelligent and, you know, seekers and learning, but also really humble and dedicated to this art. For me, teaching yoga really is a service. It's, it's not about having all the answers. It's not about being the smartest or being able to say all the best things, but really being able to just help people. And I think when you teach from that, all the business skills and the social media and all that just kind of like falls into place, you know, because mm-hmm. we're aligned with that kind of meaningful purpose of, of just being there to service and all the pressure kind of softens too. Sure. Anything else you'd like to add before we wrap it up? Maybe is there one, t- one takeaway you'd like people to leave this conversation with? 
<laughs> I mean, we've I talked about so many things. <laughs> if you're a student, I think just remember there's so much that yoga has to offer. And I think a lot of times just the most simple things can be the most powerful. I think it's a great reminder as we start to learn more and things get more complex. And, you know, as a teacher, just I think being comfortable in the mystery and at the same time being really committed to learning. There's so many great resources, both online and in person nowadays. Um, and, and questioning everything. You know, I think um, whenever I see something online that's like, this is right or this is wrong, I think it's always interesting because I just don't think fear-based tactics really serve anyone because our job as yoga teachers are really to instill a sense of confidence in our bodies. And, um, and so question everything, commitment to learning, self-practice as a teacher, and and underneath it all, humility and service as a teacher. So keep learning, have fun, and um, know that there's always more. <laughs> That's amazing. I'll put your in, all your info in the show notes, and you mentioned yogamedicine.com. Is that the best place for people to find you? Yeah. And okay. all our, we're on all the social media if you look up Yoga Medicine on all the different social media outlets. Great. Thank you so much for your time. This was a really pleasurable conversation. Thank you, Erica. Thank you so much for listening. We have a great guest coming up, so make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any. Now, if you want to make my day, help other people find this podcast and or get your chance to win a $75 shop card from Athleta, all you have to do is head on to iTunes or on the podcast app of your iPhone, scroll down on the show's page and click the link, write a review. As you leave your review, you automatically enter the giveaway. You don't have to do anything else. And I announce the winner on the next episode after a random draw. If you're newer to reviews and you want even more detailed instructions, check out the show notes. You'll also find there more info about our guest of today, Tiffany Cruikshank. And you can also visit my website for those two things and tons more at ericavelanger.com slash blog dash podcast. Our last episode was also supported by Athleta. Thank you so much if you left a review. The winner of that giveaway is user B Norris. B Norris said... This podcast with Jai Utah was truly inspiring to me as a musician. Jai's journey is incredible and Erica Belanger is amazing and asks all the right questions. I loved listening. I'm ready to sign up for one of the upcoming camps. Love that many bring their harmoniums to the camps. See, it's that simple. Thanks, B. Norris, for your comment. Email me at erica.belanger at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram and I'll send you your shop cards. Special shout out to iTunes user Valerie Brett. Thank you so much. I am touched. Now, before we go, just a last thank you to Alexander Saba, working in the background, creating the music, editing, and mastering this podcast. Once again, guys, thank you for joining us, and until next time.